Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, thousands of nurses voted to go on strike. The state's medical cannabis program expands, staying healthy through the holidays and coping with addiction through the new year. But first, thousands of nurses this week authorized their union leaders to call a strike at 16 hospitals in the Twin Cities and northeastern Minnesota, which could happen as soon as December 11th. Eminem's Bill Werner joins us with details. Thanks, Tasha. Right at the outset, I want to emphasize that it does not mean the nurses actually will go on strike December 11th. That depends on progress or lack thereof in negotiations that are going on simultaneously with a number of hospital systems. But union leadership setting that strike deadline is a clear effort to turn up pressure on hospital management. Wages is one outstanding issue. Abbott Northwestern RN Kelly Honest says nurses are almost six months past when their contracts expired, but hospitals' wage offers would not be retroactive. So really what we're getting is half of what the employers are offering us. So they can tout significant wage offers, but they're not really offering that. Twin Cities Hospitals Group spokesman Paul Omot says nurses brought their initial demand for a 39% wage increase over three years down to 20%. Most of our tables are at 14.5%. We think there's room for a deal on wages uh, if both sides come to the table willing to talk. Nurses union officials have indicated chronic short staffing at hospitals is an even bigger issue than nurses' salaries. Twin Cities Hospital Group's OMOT says nurses' current contract allows staffing review on every floor and ward, but he says nurses want veto power. We don't believe that anyone nurses' union should have the veto power over what happens on each floor best left to the people on the unit working together. United Hospital nurse Ali Marconti says they simply want control over their own practice. Let's say a nurse is taking care of your family member and then expresses concerns that they will be unable to adequately care for them with their current or suggested assignment. A supervisor that hasn't provided bedside care in decades can say, nope, the assignment's safe, make it work. Earlier, union officials proposed that if a simple majority of nurses in a ward or on a floor voted that patient safety was being threatened, hospitals would have to bring in more staff. What they want is to have a veto power over any decision, and that's what we have said no to. The hospital group's Paul Omot, the union then tried a different tack. If falls, injuries, and other patient problems hit certain levels, a ward would get more nurses. Plus, said Minnesota Nurses Association President Mary Turner, We want it in there that we will not be disciplined for refusing an unsafe assignment, as is our right under the Nurse Practice Act. As for the emergency department, Turner said, We want triggers that if it gets to a certain crisis level in the ED, that staffing will automatically be increased on the floors. We think a mediator would be really successful at, at telling them, hey, that's not realistic, that's not done anyplace else in the country, come back with something more realistic. They do not want nurses involved in the decision-making process, yet their decisions are leading to the decline and failure of a system. Tricia Oxner, nurse at Children's Minneapolis, 
Nurses voted midweek to authorize their union leaders to call a strike, and shortly after, leaders gave hospital management 10-day notice for a strike that could run December 11th through the end of this year, or even longer at St. Luke's Hospitals in Duluth and Two Harbors. Spokesman Paul Omot said the Twin Cities Hospitals Group was shocked and disappointed to receive that strike notice immediately after the nurses voted to authorize it. We're still at the table trying to work as hard as we can, They are jumping ahead, as they did with their earlier strike, to go into strike mode. Union nurses say staffing shortages must be resolved. Modest Okori, nurse at HealthEast M Health Fairview. Just imagine a patient sitting in in poop, putting on her call light or his call light, and you can't get to that patient for over 30 minutes an hour. Amid all this, plus jockeying in D.C. over replacing Iowa as the early presidential primary state in the Midwest, State lawmakers are gearing up for the 2023 legislative session, which begins, can you believe it, in under a month. Legislators are waiting for the latest budget forecast next Tuesday to find out if they still have that huge budget surplus to work with when they set the next two-year budget. There's renewed talk about reviving a bonding bill for state public works projects that fell by the wayside last May under Minnesota's soon-to-end divided government. But although Democrats will control both the Minnesota Senate and House come January 3rd, they still will need Republican votes to pass a bonding bill. House Capital Investment Chairman Fu Lee, a Democrat from Minneapolis, says that bonding bill should be over $2 billion. Last summer when all the state agencies and local units of government submitted their requests, projects you know, totaled north of $5 billion. If Democrats couldn't get enough Republican votes to pass a bonding bill, they could also pay cash for projects using part of the budget surplus. Meanwhile, Republican Representative Dean Erdahl from Grove City says... There still is a possibility we could do a special session this year just on bonding. But it is unlikely the governor would call back lawmakers now because Republicans still control the Senate through the end of the year. And maybe even equally important, Tasha, the holidays are almost here. Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters right after this. It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. The state's medical cannabis program continues to grow. There are now nearly 40,000 patients in Minnesota and more will be added next summer. State Office of Medical Cannabis Director Chris Thokis joins MNN's Brent Palm to give us an update. The Minnesota Department of Health announced some new qualifying conditions for medical cannabis this week. 
So joining us on the show to talk about it and other aspects of the program is Director of the Minnesota Office of Medical Cannabis, Chris Thokis. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me. Minnesota Department of Health put out a news release this week. They're adding at least two new qualifying medical conditions for medical cannabis that'll take effect next summer. Fill us in. So every year, the Department of Health in June and July accepts petitions from the public asking us to add new qualifying conditions. And then we do some research and we consider those petitions and the commissioner makes her announcement at this time each year. This year, we are adding irritable bowel syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. Interesting. So irritable bowel syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. How does the process work? How did we narrow it down to those two conditions? So the way that it works is we receive the petitions, we review them. This year we actually received a total of 15 petitions. We look at each of those petitions and determine um, whether we have um, considered those conditions in the past, whether they're new conditions that we're being asked to request or um, something else. If a condition has been considered in the past, we relook at that condition to see if there is any new evidence that we should consider since it was last looked at. If there is um, new information available, we will reconsider that condition even though we've looked at it in the past. Um, if it's a new condition we have not looked at before, we automatically move that forward and um, have that under consideration. So this year, of the 15 petitions that we had received, um, we moved four conditions forward for further consideration. The next step is that our staff will do a research brief on each condition. And so, you know, because marijuana is still a Schedule One drug, um, the, there have been great national limits on how research can be done with medical cannabis. And so there isn't as much research available as one might think should be available on, on these conditions in cannabis. But we do a research, uh, we do a lit literature review, we put together these research briefs on if there has been a, a clinical trial, if there have been published studies, um, we look at all of that. Um, we also look at um, anecdotal experiences from other states, and we put that all together. Those research briefs are then presented to, we have a petition panel of um, folks that review the conditions and have discussions about the pros and cons of adding it. And really what we're looking for is, do we know whether there's any benefit or harm uh, for patients with these conditions if they're using cannabis? Um, and then we also look at what are the current um, more traditional treatments that are available for the conditions. You know, are they widely available? Are they widely effective for uh, most people? Those sorts of things. Basically, this pe uh, petition panel will produce a report, and then we take the report, the research briefs, and um, any other information. Uh, we have a public comment period. Um, we often hear from medical professionals and from just the general public as well during that public comment period. And then our staff, the Office of Medical Cannabis, puts together a package for the commissioner to consider in making her decision about whether or not to add conditions. One of the new things in 2022, I believe it was in March, uh, the medical cannabis program started offering raw flower or bud, as they call it. How has uh, that those products been received by your patients? So we have nearly 
40,000 patients registered in the program now. And, you know, we, we just have never seen a dip in, in patients. We've never seen a plateau. It just is this sort of steady climb of interested patients in the program. Um, we definitely saw a number of patients who had left the program came back after we added flowers. Um, there was definitely evidence that there was pent-up demand because we saw a lot of dispensary visits in March and April. We also, interestingly, did not see a decrease in purchase of the other types of products. What we know is that people often use a combination of products to treat their symptoms. So we offer things like capsules that might have more of a prolonged effect. And then they'll use a vape or flower if they were to have breakthrough symptoms like breakthrough pain or something like that. They can sort of titrate what they need. Hey, last question. I've heard uh, some folks who are against either medical cannabis or marijuana complain about, we know that there was a state law that passed last summer where there were gummies that were available that had some THC in them. And now there is a push at the Capitol to legalize recreational cannabis. But the one thing I hear from the opponents is it's so potent now. It's not safe. This is different cannabis than we had in the 60s. When we have a product that's you know, regulated by the state, I'm guessing we've got some pretty strict regulations, correct? So Minnesota's Office of Medical Cannabis, we require very stringent testing on final product. And so we're looking for mold, we're looking for heavy metals, looking for pesticides. We test for potency because we want people to know what they are purchasing. For the medical program, the certificates of analysis that come from that lab testing are reviewed by staff in my office. And that happens before any product can be added for sale to the public. There's a lot of review and testing that goes into these products to assure that there is patient safety. Well, Chris Thokas from the Office of Medical Cannabis, we appreciate you joining us on the program today. If, uh, people want to learn more about Minnesota's program, what the qualifying conditions are, where can they go, Chris? Our website has a ton of information. It's just health.state.mn.us slash medical cannabis. Well, great. We appreciate you checking in with us and maybe we'll bug you next spring when folks with these new qualifying conditions are signing up. That sounds great. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters right after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. With the Thanksgiving holiday in the rearview mirror and now looking ahead to December holiday period, there will be more and more gatherings for family and friends. That means an added risk of spreading illness. Urgent care centers and emergency rooms have long waiting times right now with projections for that to continue. Patients will be needed for everyone involved. Dr. Abe Jacob is the Chief Quality Officer at M Health Fairview and tells MNN's Mike Grimm that there are ways to prevent illness and also ways to better get care for non-emergency illnesses over the holidays. It's not too unfamiliar from what we've experienced over the last couple of uh, winters with COVID. This year, it's a little different in that we're not seeing a huge surge in COVID. What we're seeing is a surge of other viruses, namely respiratory syncytial virus or RSV and influenza in particular, and then all the other normal viruses that we see. 
what we've experienced, something that we call uh, the dry timber effect, where we've had a couple, you know, years now, we're not, we haven't seen a significant increase in RSV or influenza in little pockets. And now that, you know, people are back in school and getting together, uh, we're just giving uh, viruses to each other. And so we're seeing a couple years or waves of uh, kids who haven't seen these viruses before uh, getting, getting hit. Are adults also impacted now with this too, as the viruses are spreading? Yeah, we're we're uh, definitely seeing it in adults, particularly uh, are the most vulnerable among us. You know, those who are immunocompromised or at higher risk who have asthma, uh, diabetes, heart failure, underlying conditions. Uh, they're just higher risk for uh, any virus that they get, and we're certainly. Uh, seeing that in our emergency rooms and urgent care centers. So it's no fun being sick. It's no fun having kids who are sick. How do we try to keep everybody in a good mood? And what's your advice here to uh, to handle the situation both physically and mentally here? Yeah, so one is uh, try and stay as healthy as you can. And uh, there's a couple uh, tools we have at our disposal in the toolbox, if you will, uh, to do that. One is uh, get vaccinated for influenza, uh, COVID. Th- those will protect you from getting really sick. Uh, Two is if you are feeling sick, uh, please don't give that gift to other people. Uh, Stay away from uh, family gatherings or large gatherings so you can protect others around you. Uh, And if you are um, uh, going out, you know, wear a mask so you're not spreading those droplets, you know, to other people. Uh, And even if you're feeling great, you may want to consider even just wearing a mask to protect yourself. We know uh, the data is pretty clear that wearing a mask is a a, a layer of protection. It's not perfect, but it's pretty effective. All right. So now you have sick kids or you're sick yourself. You might need medical care, urgent care and ERs and all of those things, I'm guessing, um, are, are getting overloaded. Staffing probably continues to be an issue. Take us through your best advice on all of that. Yeah, what I, what I would say is uh, our health systems absolutely want to take care of our patients. Um, what, we, what we're experiencing now is that um, our ERs and urgent cares are getting overwhelmed by just the numbers. And so, uh, fortunately, we have more uh, ways to uh, get a see a healthcare provider or, or talk to a healthcare provider, uh, namely through electronic visits, e-visits, uh, e-urgent care, uh, virtual visits, um, even uh, telephone visits. And so reach out to your local uh, uh, clinic or triage system and they can direct you to the right way. And many, many of these things don't need to be seen in person. We can manage a lot of these things over the phone uh, or by video or through a virtual visit uh, and spare you the time and uh, the weight of coming to one of our urgent cares or ERs. Obviously, if it's a true emergency, then come see us. We want to take care of you. But we're really trying to... Uh, uh, keep the emergencies to emergencies and uh, and take care of the things we need to take care of in person, uh, but, but do the other things virtually to the degree that we can. Yeah, with those virtual visits, one, I assume the good news is it keeps someone sick away from maybe going out into the public, but two, is it are you able then to make diagnosis and even prescribe a medicine even through prescriptions if if you can do that over whether it's e-visits or telephone calls or what have you? Yeah, for the, for the most part, uh, we can do a lot of this virtually. I think that's what we discovered uh, during uh, the pandemic is that there were a lot of uh, uh, things in terms of care delivery that we could manage 
uh, over the phone or through a virtual visit. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, drive up testing where we can make a diagnosis of influenza, you know, RSV, COVID. Uh, and then once we have the diagnosis, uh, send the appropriate treatment. So again, it's pretty slick, uh, pretty uh, easy to do now nowadays. And so uh, many, most of the Twin Cities and the Twin Cities offer this. So the drive up, you just go through and take us through that process. Yeah. So with drive up testing, we have sites set up throughout the Twin Cities uh, where essentially uh, you, you uh, if you're sick, you get in your car, uh, you keep your windows warmed up, you stay warm and toasty. And then uh, someone who comes out uh, uh, to basically swab your nose or get a test, uh, you roll up your window and you drive away and you wait for and you wait for the result. You get a call and then uh, get directed for, uh, for treatment. Well, very good. Uh, Dr. Jacob, anything else uh, that, that we haven't hit on that is important here this weekend? No, just, you know, we, we it's great that we're uh, getting back together, whether it be uh, at football games, you know, gatherings to watch. Uh, uh, sports together, just be with each other because uh, it's uh, the holidays. Uh, we just want everyone to stay safe, um, uh, especially the most vulnerable uh, among us. So uh, just be aware of your own symptoms, of other people's symptoms, uh, and really watch out for, uh, you know, the elderly, especially uh, those who are vulnerable. And if you're sick, you know, try and avoid exposing others. Think about wearing a mask and, and absolutely get vaccinated if you haven't already. Well, very good. We appreciate it. I know that uh, it's uh, the system is there to help. And uh, this is good info. Thank you so much. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. And thanks for all you do. That's Dr. Abe Jacob, the Chief Quality Officer at M Health Fairview with MN's Mike Grimm. More Minnesota Matters right after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The holidays can be a stressful time. It can be even more stressful for people in recovery from addiction and their families. Joining me today is Dr. Alta Daru with Hazelton Betty Ford. For the person who is struggling with the sobriety, this can be a really dangerous time. You know, we would suggest that if or offer our help, if somebody is struggling during this time, that maybe they discuss it with their family and their loved ones, because their family is going to be the number one support structure that they have in recovery. And it may be also a great time to introduce yourself to um, some self-help groups around your area, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, and then this is, uh, you know, I could go on and on about the, the person in recovery and how, what a risky time this is for them. We often find that uh, when a person has reached that level of recovery or sobriety, 
that they fiercely want to protect it. And it's large holidays around this season that can um, make it make our sobriety a little shaky, especially when we're introduced to uncomfortable or stressful situations where peers are drinking and using drugs. And so that can be very difficult. We often um, want to empower those who are in recovery to practice very good self-care around this time and to and to empower themselves to make the decision on which stressful situation do I want to put myself in. Do I want to put my do I want to go to this uh holiday party and put myself in this situation or will I, you know, sit this one out? However, if they do go to that holiday party, one of the best things that they can arm themselves with is an escape route. So if they find that things are getting too stressful, the pressure is getting a little too much to drink or to use drugs, that the plan is established ahead of time. I was looking at some of the statistics that were sent over to me, and it was quite eye-opening to me that mm-hmm. how many deaths are really alcohol-related. That 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 oh, really yeah. shocked me. That's yeah. Shocking. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the um medical problems that come from alcohol. So if somebody isn't getting into an automobile accident, the toll that it takes on the body is just incredible. We see this all all the time especially in our residential treatment facilities that we have just profound liver disease, brain issues, dementia related to alcohol, kidney issues blood pressure, overall health, pancreas, diabetes, it affects everything. And yeah, it is a a huge contributor to mortality. Yeah, you're absolutely right. For someone that is struggling, um, you you talked a little bit about there's resources out there and sometimes there's a stigma around asking for help. But for Mm -hmm. those that, that need help, what's a good first step? You know, just in your local community, you can find Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. And those are free. Those are free and they're anonymous. You know, your identity really is protected there. There's also online meetings that you can go to. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Smart Recovery. Um, There's, you know, also the opportunity to talk to your primary care physician. Sometimes they can offer you anti-craving medications. Uh, If you're, you know, just looking at decreasing your alcohol use or your drug use. And then for those who can't quit on their own or if perhaps they've tried and they've exhausted those resources, then seeking treatment at one of our one of our residential facilities is always a winner. You know, and you can find out more about that at hazeldenbettyford.org. We have four residential treatment sites across the US and fifteen treatment sites um that where we practice, you know, all sorts of recovery uh, interventions. It's uh, very trying also on the family. And uh, I think it's also a good reminder uh, for our listeners that there's help for families, too, yeah. that are, are yeah. coping. There absolutely is, yeah. So there's always Al-Anon out there for those that have a loved one uh, suffering for drug or alcohol abuse. And, you know, we offer virtual family services that are free to anyone who wants to take care of or take advantage of them. And that can also be found on our website. We want to support that family that's taking care of um, their one in recovery. I mean, you're their biggest resource. <laughs> right, right. 
Well, Dr. Giroux, a lot of great uh, information. Anything else that you wanted to hit on that I didn't bring up today? You know, just to support your one, your your one who may be early in recovery during this holiday season, this may be their first holiday season sober, and this needs to be celebrated with them, and we need to support them and, and understand this is incredibly stressful, a little more stressful than it may be for the other population. All right. Well, Dr. Zuru, I thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again to my guest today, Dr. Alta Daru with Hazelton Betty Ford. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station. Same time, same place. From all of us here at MNN, have a great week.